0: Welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. We're your hosts. I'm Sarah, and I'm here today with Jen and Ashley. This is Ashley. We'll chat about
1: our Unabridged Book Club's Pick of the Month, recommend related books, and share our nerdy English teacher love of reading with our Unabridged highlights and with short episodes featuring targeted topics.
2: To follow along with our schedule, visit our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. You want opinions about books? We've got them. this is Jen. We are here with one of our highlights episodes. This one we are talking about our experience at the Virginia Festival of the Book. Before we get started we just want to remind you to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Any. Anytime you can do that, it really helps us to find new listeners and for them to find us. So we would really appreciate it if you could do that. All right, so we attended four sessions at the Virginia Festival of the Book. So we are going to start with talking about American Addictions, Our Opioids Crisis. This one was Beth Macy talking about her book, Dope Sick, Dealers, Doctors, and the Drug Company that Addicted America, which is also one of our April Book Club books, and Chris McGreal's American American Overdose, The Opioid Tragedy in Three Acts. So let's just start with what were some of the things that stood out to you about Macy and McGreal's discussions? For me,
0: I was so impressed by their passion for what they were writing about. I mean, I think that it's such a difficult topic, and both of them just... They were just so well-spoken about each, with each question that they were asked and that you could just tell, especially with Beth, Beth Macy, I mean, she would tear up when she was talking about some of the more personal stories in her book. And I just thought, I think that what they've done is just an incredible thing. I mean, bringing more... I'm losing my train of thought.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> that... Um, <laughs> I'm with you. I, I'm with you. I think they have both brought to light... Yeah, have they done a lot to expose mm-hmm. this profound profoundly horrendous situation. And they've come at it at different angles, but you could tell that both of them really respected each other's mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. and that the two works like complemented each other. Um, and I, I mean, I haven't read, none of us had read McGrill's book yet, but I think all three of us are really interested in reading mm-hmm. it now because I think that he illuminates different things than what Beth Macy shed light on. And yet both of them are just showing how there were these systemic problems that have brought about this horrendous crisis, a lot of which feels like it could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think, you know, that, like you said, Sarah, um, you could tell that both of them were really passionate about it. And both of them felt that the medical professionals in a lot of ways, weren't the ones who are driving the ship mm-hmm. in in this situation that they're not the ones that are navigating, um, who are writing the regulations and setting up the stuff that so much of that is done by the pharmaceutical industry and not by the medical professionals. And they, you know, they both spoke to how that had such an impact on. And while even even though there are people who are out there fighting against what is happening, there are some really powerful forces in play that are perpetuating the problems and certainly that made it get to where it is. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah I'm always struck when I see an author speak and I haven't read his or her work just that it doesn't matter because I think you can tell that McGreal has been living it and knows it so so well that both of them have and I thought it was interesting to hear them talk about their perspectives like Beth Macy said she starts small she starts local Um, she started with her Roanoke community and something that happened nearby and then sort of expanded out and McGreal is from the UK, is he British? I can't remember what he said. He had worked for The Guardian. And he talked about, it it was almost a more, not global as in the world, but global as in overall, Mm -hmm. and worked his way in. Um, So I thought that was interesting too, just that they came at it from different perspectives, but ended up drawing some of the same conclusions. And yeah, some of his research was just fascinating when he was talking about the pill mills and the way that um, people were exploiting certain rules with it, about writing prescriptions and the way that doctors could be ready to lose their license in one place and then they could go to another state and still write prescriptions. Yeah, they, I mean, they were just both really eloquent, very articulate in describing the plight that they saw. And in identifying the larger causes of that plight. And I think each of them did have some solutions. I don't think either of them was like, hey, this is going to fix everything. But yeah, like you were saying, Ashley, just some of those those steps that could be taken that might make it better. So I
1: really enjoyed it i felt like with mcgrill i mean he said um when he was setting up his book that he was out he set out to answer two questions one is how can an epidemic grow for 20 years before it become before it became noticed and two why is this a uniquely american phenomenon Mm -hmm. and so like jen said you know you could really tell that he came at it from a very different angle whereas beth macy was going deep into a certain region um and just expanding on the research that she was doing initially for her local paper. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really was where a lot of it came from was her journalism um, and then starting to connect some dots between different things that were happening. But yeah, a lot of what he talked about, again, that's why I'm now interested in reading his book because I just felt like he was exposing different problems than Mm -hmm. a lot of what she was exposing in her book. But all of it has worked toward this epidemic that is profoundly affecting our country. So I thought that that was really powerful. It was powerful to see them together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I mean, I think, too, that when you go, go on with the solutions, like mm-hmm. um, you were saying, Jen, I felt like we talked about this when we talked about our book club for Dope Sick. But I mean, Beth Macy definitely feels like there are some solutions that would make a difference. Um, and one is getting people into recovery. Another one is treating addicts as people who have an illness mm-hmm. instead of as prisoners or as criminals. And finally, that they all need um, you know that many 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 addicts need MAT like they need Mm -hmm. to be assisted with medication in Mm -hmm. order to be successful, that they cannot go cold turkey and Mm -hmm. then have no drug at all, and the abstinence-only recovery is not effective, and that's predominantly what we're
0: doing in the nation. So Mm -hmm. I felt like she spoke a lot to that. One thing that I also thought that she did a really good job of is outlining our medical industry, which Mm -hmm. we talked again, I'm having trouble remembering exactly what we talked about, Mm -hmm. what what Uh I want to talk about today, and what I also mentioned in our um, book club, club discussion but for me, I thought she did a really good job of outlining how medicine is treated in our country, and showing the differences in the American healthcare system and mm-hmm. versus the industry of medicine, and other countries who are doing maybe a better job of helping with addiction and mm-hmm. helping um, people recover. And I thought that was really eye opening for me mm-hmm. because I never thought of medicine as an industry in our country. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I guess seeing commercials and things like that, I should think of it that way. But, but the book, both the book and then hearing her speak, make made me really realize the problem with drug companies having power mm-hmm. and having power in the like with our government. And um, it was very illuminating for me as mm-hmm. a, as a citizen and as a consumer mm-hmm. of those medicines. I mm-hmm. mean, of, of medicine. Mm-hmm. So.
2: Yeah, McGrill did a good job, too, talking about the U.S. in comparison with some countries in Europe. And Mm -hmm. he had some statistics just about the way that they treat treatment, that Mm -hmm. they treat drug treatment and that they approach it is so different. And, you know, just the whole philosophy of punishment versus Mm -hmm. rehabilitation and therapy, um, that was interesting. I, I will also say I really appreciated the way that they interacted with the audience. They did take audience questions. There were some fascinating discussions about race and the ways that Dope Sick and American Overdose did and did not address the way that race plays into this opioid crisis. And I just and the heroin, yeah, yeah, crisis and, that's
1: been going. You know, the mm-hmm. more ongoing heroin crisis right. that then has had overlap Mm -hmm. with
2: the opioid crisis. I felt like there were some
1: pointed questions about that. that And just the disparity
2: in the way that the U.S. has reacted based on race and which drug it is. Again, I'll shout out the New Jim Crow, which talks about that a lot. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I just think anytime an author is willing to take questions from Mm -hmm. the audience that in some ways are identifying an area that they did not cover, they weren't defensive, Mm -mm. they were really open to it, and they, they didn't avoid the question. Right. They addressed the question mm-hmm. with what they knew and used research to back up their conclusions about that as well. And so, yeah, I just think, I mean, authors are people, too. And so it's nice when you see people both who know their stuff but uh-huh. who are open to questions and not challenges but just feedback
0: mm-hmm. about
2: what they've covered and haven't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what else? Anything else that stood out to you all? about Macy and McGreal I mean I think like Sarah said some of it we talked about in our book club
1: so so I don't want to rehash too much but I did think I mean just the fact that there has to be that doctors need a waiver Mm -hmm. to do the um, MAT supported therapies um, I thought that was really illuminating and that only 7% of them have it and I think I think we talked about that before because I felt like it was I wasn't sure if it was Virginia or the US mm-hmm. but anyway I mean regardless there is a low percentage of doctors who have the waiver and therefore very few of them who are able to assist in that way um, and then like you said Jen I think just the thing about McGrill and, and that was I think he must have talked about Portugal mm-hmm. that's what I was trying to remember Is that who was in spoke the book about. that was in so Dope, it wasn't, it wasn't mm-hmm. dope um and I think they mentioned about that as well but just where that it, it it's much more um, it you know that Portugal has a really good likelihood of recovery and it is because they are treated as having an illness and a disease and also um, that they are assisting them medically in order to help them get therapy mm-hmm. and so and help them recover and so you know I think that there are ways that seem to be effective and they talked about drug courts and things like that mm-hmm. and getting people into Um, treatment plans instead of into prisons and so I mean I think that they did both of them had some hope for and certainly there has been a shift as things have become you know once it hit a Mm -hmm. national crisis Mm -hmm. there has been a shift in the way that some things have been handled already Um, it's just that now there's such a huge problem Mm -hmm. that it's going to take a lot to get us back under control so Mm -hmm. yeah
2: it was great I mean we left (laughs) We're so thrilled. Just, yeah, it's just great to see people who really can talk eloquently. And, and I mean, I guess in some ways they're competitors, but that didn't ever come across. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, you know, they both have books about a similar topic, but they really clearly had read each other's work. And, mm-hmm. it, yeah, I I imagine they've been on some panels together before. So, so we left American Addictions, our opioids crisis, and went to Jarrett Krasosko's session, which was um, – it's the Carol Troxel Reader, so it was held in a bookstore that Carol Troxel had opened. And, you know, both of those are our April Book Club books, which we picked before we knew that Beth Macy and Jared Krasoska would both be speaking at the Virginia Festival of the Book on the same night. So that was serendipity. But, yeah, Jared Krasowska, obviously that book is very different, and his presentation was very different. Mm-hmm. What what were some of your favorite parts about his his um, session
0: i first of all just loved his presentation because he used um, it's kind of like an audio visual Mm -hmm. presentation and he even when he did a reading from his book he had music and um, it was all really well cued up and i don't know i really thought that was Mm -hmm. um, an interesting way to display what he wanted to talk to us about and then i just really liked the kind of his front story at the beginning, talking about how the book came to be, because he, it's t- talking about how he was going to talk about someone in his life having issues with addiction. And he said that um, he was worried about what people were gonna think,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: but that his wife was like, you have to write authentically, and you have to say the word heroin, and you can't say a drug problem. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was fascinating, hearing kind of a first person account from a a child who had to deal with addiction with a family member. I thought that was really fascinating to hear what he had to say and how he was kind of ashamed, but then he realized he needed to just speak his truth. And I just really, really admired him and thought that he spoke so, so eloquently about it. And in a way that I just appreciated everything that he said Mm -hmm. and i really liked getting to hear kind of the behind the scenes look at making the of writing that whole the whole Mm -hmm. hey kiddo uh graphic memoir yeah
1: yeah, I felt like, I mean, his presentation was just really moving. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't expecting, I mean, not that the topic, like the topic is heavy, but yeah. I think when you see somebody speak about something, I felt like, I mean, the use of the music yes. and the mm-hmm. use of in the integration of the way that he um, did the slides and showed the art and did his reading was just profoundly moving. And I think it speaks to like the human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I think that he does that in his graphic memoir, but hearing a person tell about like their childhood and their childhood trauma, um, I think you know. Everybody has things that they experience, and that you really feel that commonality when of he, listening to someone speak.
0: Yeah, and when he was giving his presentation, and he showed, he was talking about scents and how like scent you associate scents like it's the easiest thing to mm-hmm. associate with someone or a place. And she, he showed um, a picture of Shalimar perfume and aftershave, uh-huh. the both of which. I reminded him of his grandparents. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just thought all that, per- I thought it was deeply personal, mm-hmm. like what he shared. Um, and yeah, like really profoundly moving, like mm-hmm. you said, Ashley, mm-hmm. that was really great.
2: Yeah, I thought um, he talked about, he said he had a conversation with Laurie Hall Anderson, who we'll get to in a minute, we saw her as well, and that was a highlight, <laughs> but, um, that about writing about something so personal to you. And he's, he shared that when he first started talking about, hey kiddo in the fall, that he, it was really difficult for him to get through. And I think I totally understand why, because it was so personal and he did share mm-hmm. so much of himself. And I think it's one thing when you're doing that on paper, but then to stand up in front of a crowd of people, of strangers, and to share something that is so 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 intimate, so personal about yourself and your childhood, yeah, it made sense to me. I it, it was kind of after he said that I was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing that he can do this at all, um, because he writes kids' books and talks about those all the time. But of course, that's very different, and the audience is very different. Um, so yeah, I, it was beautiful. I mean, the part where he read and he had on the screen um, the page pulled up so you could see the art as he was reading, and just to hear. He could do the accents of the people in his family and the nicknames that they called him. There was one they call him Ja, and I wasn't sure how to say that when I was reading, but mm-hmm. of course he said it. And yeah, just hearing him do that, it, it was really, it brought the book home. It, it added another layer to my appreciation for the book.
1: Yeah, I felt like, I mean, I, I had it quoted that he said, you learn to blame less, but there's still anger. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was interesting to hear him talk about his mom because you really could see all the layers of emotion that he has, and I think that's true in the memoir as well, but I felt like it was more apparent that it's really complicated um, when he was speaking about it, and that makes sense, because I think that you kind of control your story, but then when you're speaking Mm -hmm. about it, all all of the feelings of all of the years... Are gonna be there Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's really complicated Um, and I also loved he talked about he said when you're open and you share your story then you own your story Mm -hmm. and your story doesn't own you and I felt like that was just really insightful and also made it make more sense about how someone can tell a story about themselves and that that can be a healing process i think um and that and that it takes a long time to come around to being able to tell that story Mm -hmm. um and so i think you know and i mean like you referenced jen with laurie hall sanderson Mm -hmm. i mean i think with her having shout come out now as well is definitely people telling their truth that is painful and so in sharing it with the world. So, yeah, I mean, I thought that all of that was really moving. I loved that. And I also loved um, when he showed all of the way that he put together the book and the art Mm -hmm. involved. I mean, that was unbelievable. Like, I felt like seeing the shading, I just don't know anything about a lot of that. And so, like, seeing all the shading and how he got the backgrounds and chose the color palette and all of those things was just made me appreciate the art itself Mm -hmm. more, even more than I did when I was reading it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So... We're going to save, I think, the highlight for last. So we also saw a session called Hate Speech, and it's hate slash speech, confronting discrimination with free expression. And that was um, two authors, again, or one editor and one author, um, Arjun Sethi's American Hate Survivors Speak Out, which is a collection that he edited of people who have survived hate speech or... I I don't know if it's only hate speech. I'm assuming it is, but I have not read it. We haven't read either of these books. And then it was also Nadine Strawson's Hate, Why We Should Resist It With Free Speech, Not Censorship. And so they... This was a very different session than the others, I will say, and I think part of that is just that we hadn't read the books, but I didn't always think that the authors, or the authors were not always, and this is kind of an intentional pun, were not always on the same page, and so I was going in expecting them to agree, and it quickly became apparent that they had very different philosophies about what free expression when it relates to hate speech means. So we had a lively discussion on the way home from the festival (laughs) after this session. Yeah, do you all want to share just a little bit about what you thought?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that I felt I sort of didn't think about all the nuances of free speech and what that would mean prior to seeing the panel. And so it was really interesting to see them um, hash out where the lines are on someone's free speech when it comes to hate and the use of terms that are purposefully hateful and, um, and then in my mind inciting violence. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, I think I thought that I had a clear view on it. And then when they were talking, like Jen said, they didn't agree. And I found that I, I the things I kind of assumed I thought about free speech, mm-hmm. I do not think, like I realized I feel much more um, a need to restrict speech than I realized. And so that was really interesting mm-hmm. because I think I just hadn't thought deeply about the issue yeah. prior. And so hearing Sethi, who was more on the side of restricting the speech and in, mm-hmm. in favor of protecting the victims of yeah. hate speech, hearing him speak, I mean, I very much felt like I was on his side, I guess, of the issue, um, where Strassen was very wanting to protect free speech at all costs and with I mean she gave a lot of examples and reasons why but I also thought it was fascinating because you know it's taking place in Charlottesville Mm -hmm. which has been profoundly affected by the alt-right movement and um, they're still reeling from the Unite the Right rally Mm -hmm. and the impact that's had on that community and so you could feel and tell that there were a lot of really passionate people Mm -hmm. in the audience who had thought deeply about this issue, and um, many of them were ostensibly, like, Mm liberal-leaning. I I hate that term, but, I mean, I think that a lot of them were part of the ACLU. Right, well,
2: she she had been the former president of the ACLU, and so a lot of them would say as their first thing, I'm a member, (laughs) and then they would make their point. So So, I felt
1: like they you know, clearly support the ACLU mm-hmm. generally, but the ACLU has made some really controversial choices, particularly in the representation of, I don't know which person, what the person, uh, what the I guy's don't. name they is. They said his now. name at
0: the, I don't, yeah, I don't remember, well. remember it
1: now. So they chose to represent him and people were critical of that. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought it was uncomfortable <laughs> at times. And, um, some of it was really frustrating, but I also thought, this is the kind of dialogue that is necessary Mm -hmm. because we can't change anything in society. I think we're moving so far into this like echo chamber world where we don't ever confront someone's ideas that are not our own, that Mm -hmm. do not affirm our own. And we certainly don't do it in a civil way. And I felt like, um, it was really interesting to hear people hash out this really complicated issue mm-hmm. and work through some very different opinions. Yeah.
2: yeah. Sarah, what'd you think?
0: I agree. I mean, I agree with all of what Ashley said. I think it was enlightening to think about because, uh, like, I felt feel like I'm for free speech mm-hmm. and not censoring things like that. And then, but then when I, but I mean, like, when I'm thinking about free speech, I'm thinking about more of the things that... I'm not thinking about hate speech, but then like to listen to it in the context of hate speech and what is allowable. And especially like you said, being in Charlottesville and hearing the citizens who were in that session speak to how they felt Mm -hmm. about um, what was done and what wasn't done prior to the Unite the Right rally. um, I think that was really um, enlightening and um, definitely made me think about my position on you know free speech because it, it definitely I mean I definitely agreed with some of what um, Sethi said and mm-hmm. I also thought he made some really great points about what about hate speech in terms of like the digital age and like social media and mm-hmm. um, Facebook and I just thought that was all really interesting to hear mm-hmm. what what he thought and then the rebuttal from um strawson whom i again i i'm like ashley i tended to lean on the side of sethy's remarks Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. be kind of like on his side i guess just because i i i've never thought of it in that way and Mm -hmm. i thought it was really interesting to hear hear that
2: yeah, mm-hmm. I thought it really... Oh, sorry. And just
0: the shades of meaning mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. hate speech and what... Um, and, like, it just seems like such a fine line between having the right to say something, but then also there's a fine line between that and where it incites violence yeah. mm-hmm. and... Um, how close we want to get to that. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was I thought the discussion was important, and I definitely got something out of it. But I was very frustrated mm-hmm. most of the, <laughs> most yeah. of the time. But well, I definitely, some
1: of the, some of the remarks were inflammatory. Yes. Yeah. I felt, and so it was hard to like almost
0: intentionally it inflammatory. Felt that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt that
1: way, and so it was hard to parse out the real argument. And then the sake of saying something for the inflammation that it causes. And I'm pretty fiery, so it's hard for me to not (laughs) um, get caught up in that and, like, still hear the larger points Mm -hmm. being made. Yeah, and I felt like Sethi was just – he was very composed and very respectful Mm -hmm. of other people's opinions, but also able to articulate – I mean, I'm just very interested in reading his book. And I Mm -hmm. felt like – I mean, even in his framing of his book, like, if his purpose was to let people's voices be heard – and to use his own platform in order to um, support survivors. I mean, I think that Mm -hmm. that is a really great thing. So, I mean, that makes me really interested, not just in the topic, but in that book specifically.
2: Yeah, Yeah, it made me really aware of just how much the presentation of ideas matters, because I thought he was very respectful and he was very concise and he was very clear in moving through his points. And he very definitely was listening to both of them, I thought, really Mm -hmm. listened to what the other said and addressed it point by point, I just thought his was a little more directed mm-hmm. at particular comments. Mm-hmm. And um, succinct. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it's just anytime you think of something in the abstract versus in reality, in abstract it's easy to say that right. you want free speech. But then right. when you get into reality and so he made the point that if you if hate speech is okay, is it still okay if someone's carrying a gun? Mm-hmm. And then Strassen said, well, it depends on whether the gun's loaded or not, maybe. Yeah, and then, and then I mean, and he so
1: said just, this whole thing about, he was like, it is difficult for Muslim Americans to explain to their children why the right to bear arms and the right to say hateful things exists at the same moment. And I feel like that is real. I mean, that's it. Yeah, so I feel like that's like the crux of the issue is, you know, he, when you put it in that frame of mind and he's talking about people standing at places of worship mm-hmm. with weapons that maybe are not loaded mm-hmm. but they are saying hateful things and they are holding those weapons like to me that is clearly not something i would want to support right. but then you know it they just did a good job of eliminating how all
2: of that is really complicated she then talks about how if you start restricting free speech in those areas then people can use that like if you're giving the government the right to decide then and judges the right to decide then they decide all the time and as you start to set precedents with allowing or with restricting certain types of speech then it becomes very easy to retric, restrict the types of speech that I think none of us would want to be restricted right. and i
0: think she did she did do a good job of pointing out that who are the people making those decisions right. mm-hmm. who are in government and who are judges yeah. most I mean, I mean, she talked pretty
1: explicitly. Yeah. They both talked pretty explicitly about white supremacy. And, again, that was relevant to mm-hmm. – and white privilege. Mm-hmm. And that was relevant to the context. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that was her point. And she gave some good examples. But, again, it's hard to – stand by um, some of those things. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I just thought there were a lot of um, sort of tangential things that came out of it that I thought were interesting. One was, like, he was talking about how racism and hate should be seen as public health issues. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as we were talking, we've talked about some other things that should be considered more as public health issues. And I thought, like, that, I've heard people say that, but I think that um, that could be... Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I've, (laughs) I've heard people reference that but I think that's really powerful Mm -hmm. to think about the way it impacts health and he talked about families who are experiencing multi-generational trauma Mm -hmm. that they are then passing you know all of those layers and all of that comes often from Not just something like a hate crime that people can maybe agree is wrong, but also from speech, from Mm -hmm. hate speech, and how how that can result in PTSD and be so traumatic for people. And like if it's causing trauma, then it is definitely violent. Like, because then, like if that, so I think that that was kind of interesting to think about. If we reframe the way we consider racism Mm -hmm. and hate, then that opens that doorway. And then also, I thought it was really interesting to talk about, I know we got it, we want to get to our. Um, Anderson and Reynolds stuff but I did the only other thing was I thought about Charlottesville specifically people asked about the time place and manner exception to the freedom mm-hmm. of speech rule and that was really interesting because a lot of people were upset that the, that it just hadn't been moved that mm-hmm. was that was what most people seemed upset about was not that it couldn't happen at all but if it had been moved to the park the whole like a, a lot of what the sort of flaming of that situation, mm-hmm would have been
0: minimized if they had just moved it. Because it was in um, downtown Charlottesville, yes. which is a very, you know, um, heavily popla- populated area. And very open. very open, yeah. And very and open. To, yeah. Like Manage. the police
2: presence there, that they, they had a hard time managing all of the spaces and all of the entrances right. and exits. And, and so that
1: was really interesting mm-hmm. and somewhat tangential, but, but very relevant, mm-hmm. I think, to that issue. Anyway, I think we should...
2: Yeah. <laughs> Move
0: on yeah. to you. I mean, I but it's a cool. great conversation it to was. have. Yeah. And it was very think
2: different about. from any of the other sessions we went to. Mm-hmm. So I think that was good, too. And, yeah, I just always appreciate, even when you haven't read the book, again, mm-hmm. there's a lot to learn. I'm yeah. definitely
0: going to read um, American Hate Survivors yeah. Speak
2: Out. I would like to read it. Yes, me I would like well. to read it as well. All right. So our highlight um, <laughs> was um, Writing Tough Topics with Laurie Halse Anderson and Jason Reynolds, um this was sold out um they were in conversation just with each other so there was no additional moderator and i think for all of us i'm just going to go ahead and say this was our favorite Mm -hmm. it was amazing um the focus really was laurie hall sanderson's new memoir in verse shouts but they definitely talked about other works of hers and a lot of jason reynolds work as well um, Mm -hmm. both during their conversation and in the audience questions So yeah, so what, I I feel like we could just recite every single thing they said because it was all so brilliant and they were so brilliant, but what what were some of the highlights for each of you?
0: I mean I just have to say like it was like a total fangirl moment when we were <laughs> I know I we think like we, we, were
2: we were in the were, front I'm blushing right, here we were right there
0: we, yes. and I mean if you follow They're us amazing. on Instagram you saw all of our <laughs> pet photos and we got to meet them and have our book signed and I mean just they were just so lovely they were just both mm-hmm. such lovely humans and I just I mean I felt so I mean I really felt like I was like in the presence of greatness yes. I mean they were just yes. amazing but um when we were standing in line we are we were everyone was so amped up even the I mean the people behind us and but we were the first people in line and we were like these are like rock stars for book mm-hmm. people yeah. which they really are I mean you're yeah. we just like oh my gosh they're right here and they're just talking and they were just so gracious but for me like I was just talking to my mom about this I'm almost choked up but um Jason Reynolds wrote a a like the an afterword and the 20th anniversary mm-hmm. edition of Lori Haas Anderson Speak. And he talked about that and um, the fact that it's, he talked about some of what he said and the fact that he started out, I think, something like Dear Young Brother. Mm-hmm. And he just was talking about how you can't not about not taking something that isn't yours mm-hmm. and just being like a stand up person. And like he just spoke to young men. And I think that that is something that is so um Missing a lot of times from, I mean, we read books about sexual assault, which Lori Halsey Anderson's um, memoirs about that uh, is partly about that, mm-hmm. and Speak is partly about that, and um, we talk about it, but a lot of times we address it from a female perspective, mm-hmm. and we don't address like men and and young men and how you treat. Um, How young men should treat young women and Mm -hmm. how young women should treat young men and all that and I just felt so moved when he talked about his in his own words what he put in her memoir. Uh, or not her memoir, in her 20th anniversary book. So I thought that was a highlight for me. And the, hi- and the other highlight was just hearing Lori Halls Anderson read her own work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was... And, and, I mean, like, her own story, too. And the fact that she was willing to share something so personal. And I just loved how honest she was about how it started with rage. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how she just needed to get it out. And, I don't know, she just... I mean, I thought they were both... Phenomenal. Yes. I mean, I just can't, yeah. I just still feel, feel like awestruck that I got to see yeah. them both in the same room on the front row. I mean, it was just amazing. Mm-hmm. I'll yeah. stop gushing now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I
1: think I was just to echo what Sarah said when um, Reynolds was talking about Um, the role of men as allies and he said the poison of masculinity is rarely contextualized Mm -hmm. and so I think he wasn't he's like I'm not making any excuses but I think we have to look at the context because if we do not look at the context then we are not able to talk about what made us get to where we are Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's something he does to both of them do really well in their books um, is laying out opportunities for us to have hard conversations about Mm -hmm. complicated issues i think that is what they do so well Mm -hmm. and he just said you know both of them were just like we owe it to our kids Mm -hmm. to be honest and to say how things are Mm -hmm. and i think that that's really powerful and not what a lot of people are showing and i mean he talked about his mom's own talk with him about sex and what she said and um how she was like women are not furniture Mm -hmm. and you know she really broke down what that meant Um, And I just think that, um, you know, using those examples and talking, and I mean, conversely, Anderson's family repressed, you know, all of things, like they didn't talk. And because Mm -hmm. they didn't talk, then there wasn't a space for her to say. And so I think that that you know, can be really powerful. And then he went on to say about that, he said, what trauma looks like if it's not dealt with is crosshairs for the people that you love. Yeah. And I think that was really powerful also because I think mm-hmm. that, um, again, we don't want to handle what is not pretty or, you know, what we don't want to handle what is raw and ugly. And yet that is a big part of humanity. And then because we don't know how to handle it and have those conversations, our kids also don't know how to handle it and have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And then it perpetuates this cycle of violence and oppression and suppressing things, and, like, all of that, mm-hmm. you know? So I just felt like, man, they, yep. were,
0: they were great. When you were reading his quotes, I also wrote down another quote that he said, and he said, we cannot be more loyal to our fears than our future. Uh, and, yeah. I mean, I think that that speaks to all the things that Ashley just said that he, that he spoke
2: about, and, I mean, just amazing. Yeah. I'll let Jen speak. Uh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> no, we I, guess just, I just thought them, like you said, Sarah, them, as people, they were so – First of all, it's clear that they have such respect for each other Mm -hmm. and that Jason Reynolds, you know, attested to everything that Laurie Hall Sanderson had done for him you know, he hasn't been writing that long. He hasn't been public, or he's been writing for a long time, but he hasn't been finding success that long. And
1: it was clear um, she
2: had taken him under her yeah. wing. It was very much like he, you know,
1: they respected each other so much. But then also, like she was his mentor right. in a lot of ways. And then they both talked about Walter Dean That's Myers. What I was say. Yeah, yeah. So sorry to cut memoir, you off. I saying, <laughs> so
2: in her memoir, she talks. She writes a lot about Walter Dean Myers, and um, she found success so early with Speak. And so she has a whole section where she talks about him. Kind of counseling her through early success and then jason reynolds talked about walter dean myers and so he had just arrived at the virginia festival of the book from receiving an award in germany and was clearly utterly exhausted when he got there but he was again just so respectful of the audience who had come there to see them he was so gracious with all of the questions when we went through the line to get our book signed he t- they both took a moment to speak with every single person mm-hmm. so i think It's just nice because I have seen writers speak who have impressed me as not being great human beings. And though I try to separate Mm -hmm. the author from his or her work, it is really hard for me. And so then to have confirmed that these are both just stellar human beings and that what they are writing and the lessons that they're writing about are honestly ones that they have learned and that they believed in was really meaningful for me and just made me want to give my sons all the books yeah. for both of them. Yeah, I mean, I just thought, and she was so, in in talking about coming around to write Shout, again, like with Jarrett Krasowska, you saw the journey that she had to go on before she was ready to write this book. So clearly, you know, speak came out of something that was her own experience, but to write about your own experience and to call it that, to Mm -hmm. label it that, is a different kind of thing. And Reynolds talked too about like his track series and that the kids in the track series are his friends. Mm -hmm. And that, so just to hear the way that they've used their lives to enrich their art, um, it was meaningful. I mean, everything about it was perfect. I, I feel like could just go on and on what, what else should we and, touch on well
0: another thing they talked about well jason reynolds talked about um at length was about novel uh, like being a novel in verse versus poetry which uh, i thought a as a person who likes novels and verse but i don't love po- poetry as much yet uh, as but bo- <laughs> yeah, that day is coming <laughs> yeah ashley i going think it's Burnley. in her future but. <laughs> I mean, and there are some poems that I love, but I, but just in general, I'm not one that's going to pick up a mm-hmm. book of poetry. But I read um, novels and verse all the time. But I really appreciated what he said about the difficulty, dif- uh, some the difficulties that come with writing poetry, and that just because you break a line doesn't mean you've written a poem, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how novels and verse differ from poetry. I just thought that was all really uh, also fascinating, like yeah. just learning about their craft and about how he. I mean, I mean, he, Jason Reynolds clearly holds poets in high regard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just hearing about that, because I would have said, you know, that seems like a poem. But I yeah. mean, just the, just hearing in his own words why what he is writing, like some of the stuff that he's written is a um, novel and verse versus well, like
2: poetry. When yeah. he said that some of the verse in Long Way Down has to function as a conjunction. Yeah. It's really there to get you to the next place. Right. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, that's a great way of saying it. So, of course, those conjunction the, those conjunctions aren't poetry that you would just put on a page by itself right, and right. hand to someone that they're all part of this larger story. It his way so of
0: articulating sense. and talking to the uh-huh. crowd in a way in which we could kind of understand in his craft. I mean, I just yes. thought that was so
2: yeah. awesome. And just that they've awesome. even thought about it. Yeah, I mean, you hope that authors think about their craft. Um, yeah. But yeah, that they're willing to talk about that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think just... Um,
1: yeah, I was thinking about the way – I just think they both were so honest. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you see that in their writing, but it was great to see it in person as well, that they were thoughtful, that the questions that were asked um, – because they did let the audience ask questions yeah. also. And, you know, I felt like they really thought about those questions and and answered them um, reflectively. And, I mean, I just think, like, what resonated with me is how uncomfortable – how our discomfort is what often causes us not to have important conversations Mm -hmm. and i just think that they talked about that a lot and so i was remembering that like um anderson said that she said if you're not willing to have hard conversations with your kids why did you have them Mm -hmm. and i think what you know and i do think it's a fair question to just ask like what did you what do you expect right because life has hard parts and inevitably you're going to have to face that um and then I also thought it was powerful she was like think about how often you tell your kids about how to be safe um like looking both ways and they yeah. cross the street and she was like that is how often you should be having these conversations mm-hmm. and I thought that that was a great just concrete example like that we spent all this time reminding people to buckle their safety belt and that is so important but then we're not having similar conversations about both physical and emotional safety Mm -hmm. when it comes to these difficult issues um and you know i i think that's just really powerful yeah, and I felt like in relation to that, they both talked about sex and the importance of having hard conversations with people about about sex. Because And Anderson talked about pornography on the internet and kind of mm-hmm. said, you know, that stuff is out there and boys are seeing it. And if we aren't helping to illuminate what is a good example of a consensual relationship mm-hmm. that respects both partners then they are seeing representations that are not indicative yeah. of what we want for women or for, for anybody, you mm-hmm. know. And I think um, that was really powerful. And then I felt like Reynolds, I already talked about him saying about the crosshairs, you know, that if we don't deal with our own trauma – um, we are inflicting that hurt on others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he just talked a lot about how we have to learn how to better love ourselves, and that we all have to find a way to be more whole, to express our emotions, and to take care of ourselves, because like, that's gonna make everyone more safe. And I thought all of that was really powerful too. Yeah. What'd you think, John? Yeah,
2: um, I thought, so there was, I think this was in, in response to a question about how much literature there has been recently for young adults about really tough topics. And, and Ashley, you took notes and I did not, which was bad. But um, Hall Sanderson said something like, when it's dark, you light candles. Mm-hmm. And just that she feels like this sudden, upsur- not sudden, but this this absurgence of amazing books about some of the hardest issues that we're dealing with that just, again, make these conversations a little easier to have with kids. Or- So they provide a springboard for um, parents and teachers to have these conversations with kids about things that might otherwise be difficult to just start a conversation out of nowhere about so i thought that was yeah i mean again it feels like everything they're doing is so intentional Um, i'm sure that it is but that they see it not just in the in the context of their own careers but also in this larger context of what kids need from society and from authors and from art yeah, I mean, they were just so inspirational, so beautiful. So I feel like we could go on and on, oh my on gosh. and just god. Seriously,
1: <laughs> yes. I loved every minute. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the real big takeaway, going back to, like, what's the lasting impact aside from the fact that we saw these phenomenal people speak, mm-hmm. is just that it's worth it mm-hmm. to plow through what can be really uncomfortable in order to – be there Mm -hmm. for people um and i mean i think she said we have to model what it is to be a survivor Mm -hmm. Um, and of course she was speaking about her own experiences and what she talks about and shout and sexual assault but then you know he said we need not be tough in front of our kids and that and i just think that you know both of them did such a good job of helping the adults in the room remember that Mm -hmm. it is our responsibility to find a way to open those doors and have those conversations with kids. And so, I mean, I think that was the lasting Mm -hmm. lesson that I felt like I got out of it in addition to just being so inspired by seeing them. Mm
2: All right. Well, I think we will stop <laughs> fawning. All over Although if any of you want of to gush um, <laughs> or hear more of our gushing, I'm sure we would be happy to share it. So hit Almost us up definitely. on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, again, we would love it if you could subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes. And yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks.
0: Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We would love to hear them. You can find us on
1: iTunes and Stitcher, on Instagram and Twitter at unabridgedpod, or on the web at
2: unabridgedpod.com, or on our Patreon page. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, "Strings of Light." Many thanks to Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer, and Tim Rieger, our videographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.